This event was recorded live at the 2017 Edinburgh International Book Festival. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Edinburgh International Book Festival for this evening's presentation of Outriders, Rust Belt to Silicon Valley. Please join me in giving a warm welcome to Jenny Fagan and Bonnie Jo Campbell. I've got to make sure I have the sound off. Great. Bonnie Jo's got some emails to do. We'll, we'll wait. It's cool. <laughs> I thought my, if my ringer goes off during this. That, that would be, be really worst. bad. If anyone else would like to take this opportunity to turn their phones <laughs> off, you're most welcome. Outriders is a project that was funded by the Scottish Government Expo, Expo Fund that at the beginning of this year agreed to send five leading Scottish writers across the Americas. There was one in Canada, two in North America, one in Mexico and one in South America. While they were there, they were joined by a writer, a host writer from each of their countries and road tripped for three weeks. And it's as well as being <coughs> fascinating for the things that they've discovered, it was an incredible social experiment, putting two people who had never met each other <laughs> in a car for three <laughs> weeks. And before we discuss their journey, I'd like to invite them to do some readings for us. So without further ado, Jenny Fagan's Truth Poem. Thank you. Good evening, lovely people. Am I through this one or this one? Does it matter? Can you hear me through this one? You can. Good. Thank you. Um, yeah, so whilst travelling, I wrote a, a three-week-long poem. I'm not going to read you the entire three-week-long poem because you've not drank enough and the night's not long enough. Um, but I'm going to read you a section of this three-week-long poem on truth, which became a bit of an obsession whilst we were travelling at high velocity across the States. And I'm going to start with a section of the poem in... New York. And this is the longest poem I'm, I'm ever going to read, so you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I dream of a giant ear. I am being told to listen. The truth is rattling pipes in the Carlton arms. It's ghost hands all over my face and hair at 4 a.m. when I wake and realize the lower east side spirit world has been alerted to my presence. The truth is 84 stories, it's high, it's wailing, it isn't interested in being reasonable, don't ask it to be reasonable, don't ask it to answer to reason. It's two people touching each other up on the Bowery whilst I watch and wish I was in love. It's Easton 23rd, it's a woman rollerblazing out the grocery store and into oncoming traffic with upside down crosses all over her trousers, she is poetry. The truth is a secret knock. The truth isn't listening. The truth is barely legal. The truth does not go down in history. The truth wants to know your incapabilities. The truth has an alibi. The truth might not be televised, but it will certainly be on YouTube. The truth is they say we are helpless. The truth is we are not fucking helpless. The truth is they say we're brainwashed, numbfuck, capitalist, lethargic, apathetic, uncaring, stupid, nullified, fuckabilly germ craters with pennies for eyes. The truth is five insane humans who call themselves government kill the world and we let them because they tell us we have to and because they call themselves government but more so because they are murderous and terrifying and they own the people with all the guns and we are all of us tired. The truth is we can't take the truth. 
The truth is we're not bred for it. The truth is fiction. It's a not-for-profit corporation. It's a war on women being declared legislation by legislation. The truth wants to hold your hands. The truth is laying in the dark, knowing you're nothing to the machine, but you're still the center of your own universe. The truth is an honest fuck. It's your face when you come, that is truth. Truth is wanting touch, wanting intimacy. It's wanting you to want me. The truth is your voice in my ear. The truth is reaching for you and finding empty sheets. The truth is women taste better. The truth is there's little point to boxes when nothing about me is square. The truth is that New York's finest need all of New York's finest. The truth is the road narrows. The truth is a steeple. The truth is conch shell umbrellas. The truth is Brooklyn Queens. The truth is chaos leads our orders. The truth is baby grew a back spine. The truth is you need to step in line, miss. The truth is my taxi driver can't understand me. It's not his fault. I'm complicated. The truth is skull and crossbones. It goes tick-tock, tick-tock. The truth has a walk-on part. Blink and you'll miss it. The truth is everyone on Lexington Avenue says in unison at 3 p.m. We hate that motherfucker. They say it every day. The truth is we really do hate that motherfucker. We begin to say it in unison at 4 p.m. too. The truth is an orange baby steps out of the Paris Accord. He's trying to punish the world from a hate-based perspective. The truth is he's playing golf, but instead of balls, he lines up nukes. This doesn't stop me dancing. It doesn't stop you. I am not afraid to live, and you are not intimidated by oranges. The truth is trespassing. It's forbidden by law. It's fake news. The truth has enemies. The truth is older than you'll ever be. The truth is a visionary. I was signing my name at the Cathedral of Debatability last night. I was a spy. I was followed by a guy with a gun. He was noir. I was not a girl. I was all color and he wasn't ugly. I had a gun and it shot words. The words hung in the air until the man ate them. I shot words and the gun had a habit. The man had a horse and ill intentions. He was all malevolence. The truth is in Harlem. The truth is an artist who does great owls and who tells me as a grown man, as a black man, as an intellectual, an artist, a southern gent, a businessman, as someone who has loved and lost and still gives to the world for the first time in decades he is afraid. The truth is a little boy making a Nazi salute. The truth is dangerous. The truth is not yet free. The truth is loving your country more than you do your family. The truth is umpaqui. The truth has subalpine habitats. I keep seeing so many homeless kids on the road in motion, adults in-betweens. They are in between the places where safety meets security. America, you are beautiful. Why don't you tuck them in? The truth is this universe made us and we can't fucking take it. The truth is people of all faiths. The truth is humans are a migrant race. The truth is welcome here. The truth is be quiet but certain you can get it here. I need the truth and the truth needs me. The truth is a warrior. Lately it's been general but it's getting more specific. The truth is it was no incidental part of social warehousing to raise a risk-averse society. The truth is meeting strangers to talk about fear. We talk about fear and we talk about how we ignore that fear and meet our friends and defy psychic terrors by loving the ones we are set for. The truth is preposterous. The truth is unfit for drinking. The truth is on a pedestal. It's a medical supply room. The truth gives free advice. The truth is violent. The truth is under these hot streets. It's rising up from the subway. It's rattling the L train. 
The truth is people fear other people. The truth is they make you fear other people because it is profitable and practical to keep people afraid. The truth has a brilliance. The truth is people whose hearts shine through their clothes, whose courage or intellect astounds me, who open their arms and say, I will. The truth has much to say. I arrive on 62nd and the sign above me reads, The Devil's Hair. In San Francisco, I see a man with a shopping trolley and no shoes. He has a huge, white, shaggy dog riding up in that trolley with big black eyes like Cleopatra. I meet a man who tells me I'll get shot in L.A. The truth is not skin deep. You can't tell where I grew up or who I am or where I've been. I smile at him and it makes him nervous. When the truth makes eye contact, I never look away. The truth is I judge your judgment. The truth is, I tell him, it's not my fault. I was raised as a capitalist child to believe each human interaction has a value-based transaction, but I transcended that bullshit by the time I was three. I don't tell him I've lived through things he could never imagine. I know he's too blinded by the confines of my girl cladding. I meet a man in a bar who says he killed his wife. I ignore him and ask the barman what time the bands are on. It's all I wanted to know. The truth is, don't fucking cross me. The truth is not destroyed by madness. There are no angels in Idaho. It's time to lay down your arms. The tsunami is coming. Fuck hate. One of these days will always be one of these days. The truth is ripped. It's CND. The truth is debatable. The truth is lonely. Nobody's defending it with guns or armies. The truth is our earliest consciousness. The truth is the best girl in town. It's a stinking rose. It's a floor show. It's rats in the walls. It's saying to a stranger, I am fucking frightened. Please hold me. The truth is desolation. It has never been to heaven. The truth is this universe made us and we can't fucking take it. The truth is skull and crossbones. The truth is not in Krongas. The truth is pretty good. It's certainly truthful. The truth is being a certain way. It allows us to focus. The truth is people of all faith. The truth is humans are a migrant race. The truth is welcome here. The truth is quiet, but be certain you can get it here. The truth is local. The truth is strange. The truth is open Thursday through Sunday. It will see you by appointment. The truth transacts its business and leaves promptly. It is bitter strange. It is ugly scared. The truth is anger. The truth is perversion. The truth is we all need to like our lesser selves a whole lot more. The truth is 359 miles away. I'll know the truth in San Francisco, but it won't know me until San Jose. The truth is Edebees. The truth is not for sale. The truth is cavernous. It is too big, too wide. The truth is Petula Adobe. It's mitochondrial. It's seven sisters we all came from. It's speed enforced. It's cigarettes after sex. It is he and it is she. It is uterine. It's how I always head downtown to find my conversation. The truth is Belvedere, it's Tiburon. It's mist on the mountain, it's Seminary Drive, it's Sausalito City, it's exit 455A, it's tired, it's weary. We need to bring it home again, it doesn't want to be so lonely. I followed the truth across the sea and like an old friend, it welcomed me. The truth is on Delancey Street. It's 300 feet deep. It's the center of the blast rock. It is the interior. The truth is disappearing. It is tranquil. It is blue. It was once a mighty mountain. It's 44 feet of snow at Crater Lake. It's the Milky Way above us for millions of years. It's my child's voice reading me a story late at night from far across the sea. And I want to take a plane and go to him right away. 
The truth has subalpine habitats. The truth keeps interrupting. The truth is tooth and claw. It goes tick tock, tick tock. The truth is Alamito. It's Locust Avenue. The truth is I know so few boring women. My girls are troubadours. They are shark toothed bison. The truth is Ptolemy. The truth won't meet me later. The truth holds me like a baby and breaks my fucking heart. I keep seeing homeless kids on the road, adults, in-betweens. The truth is some kind of Goldilocks environment. It is Iridium. The truth is they don't tell the truths of nations, the truths of individuals, of individuals in relation to crimes of nations of ordinary people who are told they are powerless to prevent mass crimes against humanity. The truth is knocking. The truth is better late than never. The truth is a boat with a hundred people on it, many of them crying, terrified, gripping the sweaty hands of children. That is your fucking boat and it is my fucking boat and all the people we love are on it. Can you imagine that? The truth is little rich boys take the earth for their shiny plaything. The truth is we are all expendable and some of us are more expendable than others. The truth can't afford to be silent. The truth is, they bury the truth every morning, but every night it climbs out from all those mounds of rubble, skinny and pissed off and looking for a beer. The truth only wants good things for you. You are the greatest hope for truth. I am too. The truth is good to you. The truth likes you. It would buy you a drink. It would hold you in the night. It wants to have your children. The truth is taking a moment. The truth has bowed its head. The truth is praying for all of us. The truth is ready to fight for you. Are you ready to fight for it? The truth is love. Love is truth. Love is the truth. The truth is this planet is yours. This is your planet. Those stars are shining just for you. You are meant to be here. The truth is you are beautiful. The truth is we are only in the beginning. The truth is we have to begin again. The truth begins with light. Thank you, Jenny. You haven't seen this yet. I haven't <laughs> seen this, no. This is all footage from their journey across America. So, Jenny, you said that you started writing that truth poem when you were in New York, but there are snippets of everywhere on your journey. Where Tell us some of the places that you were when you were writing this. So I started in New York. I arrived in New York, and it was really hot, and um, I just had my heart broken. It was dreadful. I arrived in a real state in New York, and there was a heat wave, and I fell asleep in a little uh, artist's hotel with lots of cats in it, and um, artists and strange art, and I fell asleep, and I had this really heavy, dense sleep where I I dreamt about a giant ear, literally a giant ear. And I thought, well, that's not subtle. Um, (laughs) I'm being told to listen. And I woke up and started writing my truth poem. And everywhere I went, I chatted to people about the truth. And the interesting thing is when you chat to people about the truth, they tell you the truth. We tell truths to each other. And quite often, you know, our partners don't want to know the truth about us. And our bosses certainly don't. And our families are, you know, not that interested anymore. But sometimes you have a conversation with a stranger and you ask them something and they tell you the truth. So... I was in the hotel and I had a long conversation with a guy called Alfonso who'd only come in to change my, to put a, you know, a, a fan in. That's all he came in for. What he got was, 
<laughs> me and my pajamas <laughs> and, uh, and our long conversation about truth. And it, it turned out that he's, he's a, uh, a, a young black guy. He said he had no white friends other than the people at his work, the artists in the hotel, and, uh, and he wrote science fiction stories. And he grew up in the care system. And I grew up in the care system. And we had this big, long chat about this and white privilege, and it completely freaked him out. And, uh, and it was really interesting that this was the first stranger who was passing me by in my America journey, and here we had these things in common. Um, so it started in New York. I went from New York <coughs> up to Woodstock, Woodstock to Detroit, where I met with Bonnie Jo. From Detroit, we went inland to Michigan and Kalamazoo. We went from there around Oregon, over to Portland, San Francisco, San Francisco all the way on the train. This might be on the train, uh, down to LA and then San Diego and the Mexican border. And I, I became addicted to writing the truth poem everywhere. And on the train journey, I wrote it on and off for 10 hours. And I've tried since I got home to write. I tried to write it in Paris, and I tried to write it in London. And I've tried to write it in Edinburgh, and I've not been able to write it <laughs> anywhere else. Um, so it, it traveled, and I arrived. You know, I, I was very, as everybody is, very aware of Trump. and. Brexit had just happened, and I kept finding different places where the Trump and buildings were. Yeah. And that was your starter for 10. You wanted to go over and find the truth. Yeah, and it's, it's not so much that I wanted to find the truth. I wanted to have conversations with people about truth, because I think quite often we're not allowed to do that. We're being ex asked to be complicit in very big untruths at the moment in society. And it's just interesting when people let down their barriers a little bit. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Thank you. Before we go into more in-depth conversation about their journeys, I'd like to invite Bonnie Jo to do some reading. It's hard to follow the truth, Paul. It's hard to follow the truth. <laughs> <laughs> and as we said last night, those of you who heard us, uh, actually fiction writers have a very complicated relationship with the truth. <laughs> so, uh, um, what I wrote for this, uh, all of us involved in the Outriders wrote something in this book, which you will get a copy of, those of you who haven't gotten one yet. This is great. One on the way I out. was going to say this, but oh, it's great. great. Please do. No, go for it. So I was going to read uh, my piece that's in here. Um, I am a very slow writer, so the only pieces I finish, it's so exciting to see Jenny get this whole poem finished. It's fin it feels big. And uh, so I was writing little short pieces and blog entries and things. But I thought some of you might want to know about the place I'm from, which is called Michigan. So do any of you know Michigan? A few of you? <laughs> you can see it from <laughs> space because it looks like this. No, it looks like that. <laughs> it's a hand in the middle of America waving at you. So uh, this is just a five-minute piece about uh, thinking about Michigan and Scotland. And then I'm going to read a five-minute story. I hope that's okay. If you get really restless, let us know. We'll, we'll go right on to move, give with the snacks that we're going to hand out. <laughs> so we'll we have do, snacks, we'll do the dance. right? We'll do the dance. And we'll dance. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, Jenny and I do have a dance. Yeah, so we'll yeah. see if we get to should be more <laughs> dance than it readings for yeah. sure. So this is called Hello from This Place. A few nights before Jenny Fagan flew in to Detroit, I read at the Kalamazoo Library with Jack Driscoll. Jack lives on the Leelanau Peninsula, a part of Michigan known for its pristine white dunes, sparkling waterways, lush wild woodlands, berries and cherries galore, and its brutal winters. I live in the rust-beltish 
Kalamazoo, a place that used to make cars and paper and now makes a pretty good IPA called Bell's Two-Hearted Ale. Which you guys know, that's a literary beer. It's like the Two-Hearted River, Bell's Two-Hearted Ale. Also, we have more super fun sites than any place else in the country. <laughs> Perhaps you don't know Michigan. For a graphic, please see page 39 to see the tiled mosaic wall behind our wood stove. Note our Great Lakes, which contain a fifth of the planet's fresh water. And our 3,200 miles of shoreline, our 63,000 lakes, and 300 named rivers, and our 11,000 good-sized islands. As for the Superfund thing, know that there was a time in America when we used to put money into cleaning up old industrial sites. In 2010, a leak in an underground pipeline dumped a million gallons of Canadian tar sands oil into the Kalamazoo River. We have a 721-mile border with Canada. Our state motto, when translated, I'm not going to speak the Latin, is, if you seek a pleasant peninsula, look about you. <laughs> Which is further translated as, Shut up and take a gander. <laughs> Have I mentioned we call ourselves Michiganders? Michigan, like Scotland, is not on the way to anywhere else. <laughs> In other words, if you are here, it's either because you were born here or because you came here on purpose. So stop your damn complaining. <laughs> Michigan has about twice the population of Scotland and is about three times the size, and we do have a place we call the Michigan Highlands. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow situated his epic poem, The Song of Hiawatha, in the pictured rocks area of our Upper Peninsula. Hemingway's Nick Adams stories were written about us. I could go on. Maybe the best contemporary poem about Michigan is A Primer by Bob Hickok an automotive tool and die maker, published in The New Yorker. And I'm going to read an excerpt from his poem. Um, I love to read other people's work when I stand up here. So this is Bob Hickok, a Michigander. Uh, and this is just a piece of the poem to give you an idea of Michigan. I lived in Michigan for 43 years. The state bird is a chained factory gate. The state flower is Lake Superior which sounds egotistical, though it is merely cold and deep as truth. A Midwesterner can use the word truth, can sincerely use the word sincere. In truth, the Midwest is not mid or west. When I go back to Michigan, I drive through Ohio. There is off I-75 in Ohio a mosque, so life goes corn, 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 mosque. I wave at Islam, which we're not getting along with on account of the towers as I pass. Then Ohio goes, corn, 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 billboard. Goodbye, Islam. <laughs> you never forget how to be from Michigan when you're from Michigan. It's like riding a bike of ice and fly fishing. The Upper Peninsula is a spare state in case Michigan goes flat. And this is back to me. 
also know that we have the largest cement plant in the world, <laughs> the largest limestone quarry, the largest herd of Holstein cattle, and a hefty number of opiate and meth addicts. <laughs> we also have an open carry law. Do you guys know what that is? An open carry law that allows just about anyone to carry a firearm just about anywhere, even into our elementary schools. We are a majority democratic state that has been gerrymandered into a Republican state through the magic of what we call redistricting. I could go on. At the reading, Jack Driscoll and I discussed how characters reflect landscape. He went further to say a person and place used to be the same thing. Consider, he said, how people used to be named after the place they came from. Francis of Assisi, Leonardo da Vinci, William of Orange, Eleanor of Equitaine, and of course, Jesus of Nazareth. Call me Bonnie of Michigan. Jenny Fagan of Scotland and I toured Detroit with the writer Lolita Hernandez, saw much art and some ruin. We Michiganders do not like ruin porn, which is the presentation by out-of-staters of salacious Rust Belt decay. We admit there is trouble in Detroit and Flint and Kalamazoo, but you aren't perfect either. <laughs> In Kalamazoo, I hooked Jenny of Scotland up with some donkey, some river, some facts about cheap real estate, some grilled meat on the screen porch, and also mosquitoes and ticks. Yeah. On a brighter note, the fireflies are finally out on the Michigan lawns and meadows. Blink, blink, mate with me, mate with me. Unlike avocados and citrus fruit and blueberries, which are shipped across borders all year, fireflies are here in June and July, blink, and that's it. Let me finish with a few more lines from the Bob Hickok poem. February is 13 months long in Michigan. <laughs> we are a people who by February want to kill the sky for being so gray and angry at us. What did we do is the state motto. <laughs> There's a day in May when we're all tumblers, gymnastics is everywhere, and daffodils are asked by young men to be their wives. When a man elopes with a daffodil, you know where he's from. In this way, I have given you a primer. Let us all be from somewhere. Let us tell each other everything we can. I just, I just found, kept finding, you know, being from a peninsula and being on the Scottish peninsula that we have a few things in common. And uh, I was going to, should I go ahead and read this very short story? Yes, please okay. do. Um, I just wanted to um, share with you some of my creative work um, that is in a, maybe a darker vein. Um, most of what I write is dark. And luckily we have cat here to brighten it up afterwards. <laughs> so um, this is a story, uh, this is a story about, do you guys know what methamphetamine is? Yeah. In yeah. America, we, we make, we use American, we used to build cars and stuff and now we build, we, we use American ingenuity to make drugs. <laughs> and uh, in places where there aren't jobs, 
uh, people make drugs. And so this is a very short story I wrote, and it's in a modular style. And it's about uh, a man who has a problem with a woman who has a problem with methamphetamine. So this is called The Solutions to Brian's Problem. Solution number one. Connie said she was going out to the store to buy formula and diapers. While she's gone, load up the truck with the surround sound home entertainment system and your excellent collection of power tools, put the baby girl in the car seat, and drive away from this home you built with your own hands. Expect that after you leave, she will break all the windows in this living room, including the big picture window, as well as the big mirror over the fireplace, which you've already replaced twice. The furnace will run and run. Solution number two, wait until Connie comes back from the store, distract her with the baby, and then cut her meth with Drano, so that when she shoots it up, she dies. Solution number three, put the baby to bed in her crib and sit on the living room couch until Connie comes home. Before she has a chance to lie about where she's been, grab her hair and knock her head hard into the fireplace that you built from granite blocks that came from the old chimney of the house your great-grandfather built when your family first came to this country from Finland. Don't look at the wedding photos on the mantle. Don't let the blood stop you from hitting her one more final time to make sure you have cracked her skull. Put her mat and her bag of syringes and blood-smeared needles in her hand so the cops find them when they arrive. Solution number four, just go. Head south where it's warm. Contact the union about getting a job with another local. Pretend not to have a wife and baby. When put to the test, Connie might well rise to the occasion of motherhood. Resist taking any photographs along with you especially the photographs of your baby at every age. Wipe your mind clear of memories, especially the memory of your wife first telling you she was pregnant and how that pregnancy and her promise to stay clean made everything seem possible. The two of you kept holding hands that night. You couldn't stop reaching for each other, even in your sleep. She lost that baby and the next one. And although you suspected the reason, you kept on trying. Solution number five. There are seven solutions. Solution number five. Blow your own head off with the 12 gauge you keep behind the seat of your truck. Load the shotgun with shells, put the butt against the floor, rest your chin on the barrel, and pull the trigger. Let your wife find your bloody corpse in the living room. Let her scrape your brains off the walls. Maybe that will shock her into straightening up her act. Let her figure out how to pay the mortgage and the power bill. Solution number six, call a helpline. 
talk to a counselor. Explain that last week your wife stabbed you in the chest while you were sleeping. That she punches you too, giving you black eyes that you have to explain to the guys at work. Explain to the counselor you're in danger of losing your job, your house, your baby. Tell her Connie has sold your mountain bike and some of your excellent power tools already. Try to be patient. When the counselor seems awkward in her responses, when she inadvertently expresses surprise at the nature of your distress, especially when you admit that Connie is only five foot one, expect the counselor to be even less supportive when you say, well, hell yes, you hit her back then realize that the counselor probably has caller ID. Hope the counselor doesn't call social services because a baby girl needs her mama. Assure the counselor that Connie's a good mama. She's good with the baby. The baby is no danger. Solution number seven. Make dinner for yourself and your wife with the hamburger in the fridge. Sloppy Joe's, maybe, or goulash with the stewed tomatoes your mother canned. Your mother, who, like the rest of your family, thinks your wife is just moody. You haven't told him the truth because it's too much to explain. And it's too much to explain that, yes, you knew she had this history when you married her, but you thought you could kick it together. You thought that love could mend all broken things. Wasn't that the whole business of love? So mix up some bottles of formula for later tonight when you will be sitting in the living room feeding the baby, watching the door of the bathroom, behind which your wife will be searching for a place in her vein that is not hardened or collapsed. When she finally comes out, brush her hair back from her face and try to get her to eat something. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you very much. Hearing your story, I'm intrigued. How, how much did you let yourselves be exposed to these situations and areas on your journey? Yeah, I mean, you know what? When you're traveling, you're, you, you always are an outsider, of course. And so, you know, the thing, things like this, you would never be able to write something like, you wouldn't dare try to write something like this in a, in a situation where you weren't very intimately connected to the people. But I think what Jenny and I have in common as writers and maybe as people is that we're kind of, fearless in the sense that we don't look away when it gets difficult. So I, I think we're willing to go into a situation and we don't need it to be glossed over. We, and we don't look away when it gets tough. And, and we're more than willing to engage with people who are not at their best or at their most positive or, you know, mm -hmm. people are having a rough time. We're kind of there for them. And we, bo <laughs> we both we have a sense of place in our work where we both authentically come from very interesting, fairly wild, um, brittle backgrounds, you know, so it's, it wasn't unusual for us to want to take a journey where we weren't staying in five-star accommodation and we were turning up 
at 11 <laughs> at night in Crescent City and there was lots of grifters, you know, cir circling around on their BMXs saying hey, and it's like hey. And um, we wanted to really go all out in America. We weren't looking for the, the glossy picture. And actually in both our work, I met Bonnie Jo last year at the book festival. Uh, at the party, and, and it's very strange that here we are a year later, having done all that. I guess that's the magic of the book festival in some ways. And I got to, I read all of Bonnie's work before I went over there, and it was really great to arrive in America and f find that it's, you know, it's all completely authentic. So we had that shared, shared approach to the work and that kind of non, non um, judgmental approach to people and and place. Oops. Thank you. You. The other thing that shines through that you have in common is you both focus a lot on landscape. You and as does your wonderful video. Chicago. <laughs> That's Chicago. Chicago. Should we just Harbor watch the video? <laughs> Sorry, I've not seen it at all. It's, um, it's, it's, it's excellent. And how, how, how has that come about in the things that you've decided to write since? Have you, is it, how heavy does it feature in what you're both writing after the Outriders journey? We were expecting not that we were expecting anything, but we thought that it would be very politically focused. Well, you know, politics in fiction is a different animal, and we, we, we keep skirting around this as we're talking about, you know, this project we're doing is very political, and everything that Jenny and I write is very political, but it doesn't necessarily wear its politics out in the open. Um, it, it can't. Uh, contemporary readers get very impatient with anything that starts to resemble a polemic. Um, there's, I swear, even American writers, I swear, even if they think they've, they've if, if you even push them down one political line, they just immediately hold back and they're like, I'm not, I'm not sure I'm willing to go there. So the politics has to come and somebody, I was at a panel earlier today and he discussed the politics as being the thing that's bubbling up underneath. So I, I, think, I think it makes sense for writers like us that we were obsessed with the landscape. Mm -hmm. um, when we, were, we mentioned Crater Lake uh, mm -hmm. is one place we went where, you know, they kept telling us how beautiful it was and that's dangerous. Because you're going to be like, well, okay, yeah. you know, enough already about how beautiful it is. But then it was. It was so fine. <laughs> it was totally stunning. And, uh, and I think we're always uh, trying to connect that landscape. Landscape and characters maybe is what fiction writers Mm -hmm. attend much of their energy to. And we'd love to hear about a couple of the most interesting people who you met while you were there. The characters. Um, we met, oh, there, was, there was a couple of people who were strangers that we saw on the road that we were talking about. There was one young guy in a truck stop who must have been about 19 years old and it was quite late at night and I'd seen a sign and I'd said to Bonnie and our friend Eric, oh it's really exciting, pull over, pull over for the sign and they're like, like why? And it was a uh, good news Jesus is alive, <laughs> which I was really excited about. And they're kind of like, whatever. And this happened consistently everywhere we went. I was like, oh, look, it's, you know, it's a thing they post letters and like stop, stop so I could take the photo. And they're like, uh-huh. Um, and then we would see things in passing because we were moving so fast. And we, we were in this truck stop and this 19-year-old kid had a sign that said, I will accept anything, even a smile. And uh, in Portland, we went past a 250-mile stretch where there were tented communities. I mean, we're really, uh, you were going past it so fast, but the people stayed with you, and those people that were strangers stayed with us in a way as much as uh, some of the, the artists and writers that we were meeting as well. Uh, when I was on the train, when we were on the train 
I think this is on the train, we were driving through a brush fire. I ended up on the train next to a woman called Jackie, whose son plays in Rancid, the band Rancid. And she was 82, and she obviously tells everybody this when she meets them. <laughs> she was really excited about it. She sat down, said, my son plays in Rancid, started name-dropping the Metallica and all these guys. And I was eating a salad, and there was a brush fire either side of the train, and it was very flamey and very smoky, and nobody seemed at all concerned. And then um, later on in the same journey, you see the desert, and then you see the big industrial machines and then you see the sea um, and we flew past one little town and there was a, a, a young black kid about 15 years old looked about 15 years old who looked like he was getting ready to jump off a bridge and there was two policemen at the side who were obviously trying to, to talk him down and all the way you're just seeing the whole of this a vast metropolis and filtering it and it was really emotional for us actually it wasn't something that you could do and disengage from it was it was a big journey and actually meeting the writers like Dorothy Ellison and um, Ken Babs and all these people they provided a really nice little home for us in amongst this very big journey mm -hmm. tell us about the Ken Babs meeting <laughs> I, I <laughs> Do any I of do, you know I, I, what, I, a Mary pranks, what the Mary who the Mary Pranksters are? Good. Okay. Anybody who's read the Electric Kool Aid Acid Test by Tom Wolf, uh, it they were a group of writers. They were after the Beats, after the Beat writers, you know, after the Ginsburg crowd, but kind of before anything else had really happened. And they were an interesting bunch. And they did a lot, dropped a lot of acid, and uh, they dropped a lot of acid and they rode around on a multicolored school bus and we were privileged actually and, and, and Ken Kesey is dead and he had a commune and it's still there and Ken Babs was one of the one of the writers and one of the merry pranksters and he took us to Ken Kesey's farm and we met Ken Kesey's granddaughter and they still have the bus that drove around. We the sat in the bus. Yeah, there was a funny story actually. They, they took the bus out and th put it in a swamp and they were gonna let it die. They just let it sink into the yeah. swamp and then somebody just decided, ah, we can't let it happen. So they had to dig the damn thing out of the swamp. And, uh, and it was, I guess, you, know, you could still see the green mold on it. And then, you know, but they made a movie and they had a brand new bus. So now you can see the old and the new, but it was such a privilege. Um, to have, you know, to have this famous writer making us blueberry buttermilk pancakes and taking us to see the, you know, the electric Kool-Aid acid test bus. And uh, then we got to see Dorothy Allison in, in um, California. And I don't know if any of you have read Bastard Out of Carolina or Trash. Yeah, because that was... She's one, she's one of the best American writers. It was, we had a lovely, really, really lovely time. And one of the nice things for me in the journey was being able to spend time with Lolita, Lolita Hernandez in Detroit, with Bonnie all the way on the road, and with Dorothy Ellison. They're all, we're all uh, female writers who've, who've very much defined ourselves and taken our own journey into writing, and it shows up in our work. And there was something very affirming about that and very interesting. And, and we spend a lot of time talking about our families and talking about you know how to pickle things and you know we're not like <laughs> sitting about and, talking and about should we tell the whole should time. we tell them our common obsession about Pro yeah about yeah real estate yeah yeah we talked we about we talked about property a lot didn't we yeah nearly all well, the way yeah it's really well and that was some place where you know I often was watching what Jenny was pointing her camera at because I wanted to see what are the things that don't look like 
Scotland. Well, you, yeah. And one of them was the mailboxes. She wasn't joking. Uh, no, I don't. I didn't know you guys had all these neat, tidy mailboxes because <laughs> we express ourselves through our mailboxes, and so <laughs> sometimes it's just like a piece of sewer <laughs> pipe, literally stuck up by the road. And then sometimes people will carve barns, but they're all like stuck together in some crazy way. And you really have to feel pity for our mail carriers because they're trying to puzzle out who is what and you know and some people in america are very secretive and they won't even put their numbers or their names on their mailboxes they <laughs> are they're like they're hiding <laughs> out and uh and also jenny was surprised that in in the united states in the rural areas you can any old body can just kind of throw a house up made of mm. any old thing you can make a house out of cardboard if you're in the right district and just and so I learned that your houses are all going to stand for 500 years. I, one of the things I yeah. picked up when I was closely following you as you were traveling was crossing this bridge, which I found absolutely d disturbing and <laughs> fascinating and that there was this boy on it and the police were talking him down. Uh, and there's an incredible fact about this bridge. Well, this is, we crossed two bridges, uh, the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco, and then a bridge called the, is it the Cor Coronado Bridge in San Diego? Those are the two bridges uh, on which the most suicides are committed. Uh, Golden Gate is yeah. first, and this Coronado Bridge is number two. And part of our project uh, was going from the Rust Belt, which is the old manufacturing center of America, and then heading out to uh, land of Lexus, or land of not Lexuses, what am Teslas. I saying? Teslas. Teslas, yeah. And uh, we did get to ride in a Tesla, so you can ask us afterwards what that was like. Uh, we did a big screen in it, big screen. And, uh, but, you know, life is rough in the old rust, decaying rust belt with buildings ruined and our waters are polluted, but the most suicides are happening ca in California. In Silicon Valley. And before we, I'm going to open up so everyone can ask questions. Before we do, what do you, how did you, we were looking to find out this this flip side between the Rust Belt and Silicon Valley, mm -hmm. and was it as obvious as we would imagine? This industrious. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a base level of madness in America. You <laughs> travel, and there's a base <laughs> level of lawlessness, and it's it feels like a country in the process of becoming. And actually, some of that's very invigorating. Um, and I think that the, the all these big industrial contraptions that are there, they're really striking. It's, you can really see how the whole country's come together. Um, what was the question? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, I'm still with you. When before you left, we, d we talked about how it must be like being on two different planets, let alone two mm -hmm. different parts of the country, that there is the industrious Rust Belt, yeah. and then you would go to Silicon Valley, the birthplace of technology. Was mm -hmm. it as startlingly different? as you had imagined? Or are, are the problems, do they exist everywhere? Is it, you say the, the base level of madness is there? As, as an outsider, I, f I felt uh, 
a natural affinity with people from like the Appalachian Mountains, that kind of thing. There's that slight, you know, kind of hillbilly type identity that actually in a Scottish way we really understand. It makes sense to us, some of the, the music and, and that wildness really, mm. you know, I connected with that, which you, you don't feel in the same way in California. There's something different in California when you head down there, but the, the coast and the landscape is very powerful. It draws you mm. to it. And we had a lot of conversations about things like how many Americans believed in chemtrails and how Trump had, uh, you know, neatly got that into the vote that he, you know, the chemtrails were maybe real. And I'm going to be uh, looking into those. Yeah, chemtrails. those chemtrails yeah. will be sorting out that you know people are controlled in the community by chemtrails. And then I didn't realize how many people in the population uh, believe that the, the Earth is six thousand years old, and apparently that's decreasing. Uh, I was I was looking it up again today. So there was lots of those things that across each state were were really fascinating to explore, mm. but they all feel completely different. And we arrived in San Diego at the end, and we went across a bridge between. You could see all of San Diego here, and you could see all of Mexico here. Um, and that was it was so beautiful. It was so cool to kind of see it all all spread out like yeah. that. Um, so the it's such a huge place. It's like fifty two different countries in one massive country. And how did it feel to be a host? Did you see you, you did you feel you were seeing your country for the first time? I know it's a, it's it's fun to think about because I I don't think for the most part I was thinking about these big picture things and I I think it's I think it's that the as fiction writers we trust in the what our stuff is the physical stuff of life like it's the physical objects and we trust the meaning to rise out of them. So I think mostly folk, we were focusing on these smaller things. Um, but I, I, I've been to California a lot of times, and it does. It is a joke in Michigan that if if you can't take it in Michigan, okay, fine, go to California. You know, we met a shark wrestler, didn't we? In California, very soon after we arrived in, in California, we met a shark wrestler. Wait a minute, was that, that the guy on the pier? Yeah, shark with it, yeah. Oh, yeah. And all the sharks were dying in the bay because yeah. they'd got meningitis oh, because of the rains and the bacteria had come out. We, we met yeah, extraordinary California, people everywhere. Yeah, California, there was a big drought that was just ending. Yeah. And so everybody was happy the drought was ending, but apparently there's all these effects after the drought that because no water had washed across, there was a lot yeah. of poisons going in. Yeah, we did meet our shark wrestler. So we had our photo. Yeah. yeah, he was good. There were a lot of dangerous activities they did that they only told me about long <laughs> after they'd come home. Yeah. Um, to Just as a quick reminder, both Bonnie Jo and Jenny will be signing books in the adult bookshop across straight afterwards. Bearings, it's just there. So please go along. And as Bonnie said, you'll all receive a copy of the Outriders book and on your way out and a copy of Bonnie's comic book. My books are not here somehow... They just, it didn't work for my books to get here. Um, and so you get a free comic book version it's of my cool. latest book. If it's you worth want getting signed. Get the comic book signed. <laughs> it's really cool. Who has time to read books nowadays? Just read the comics. It'll be good. Send me a note. Let me know if you need a book. I'll send you one. So just read the comic and see. It's a lot of rough stuff in there. And do please keep reading books. <laughs> Um, do we have any rovers? Would anyone like to ask Jenny or Bonnie Jo questions on their journey or on their wonderful readings? Like what are chemtrails? <laughs> <laughs> I know there's any questions. Question I think there's one at the back there. Thank you. Um, it's, it's a question for both of you, uh, but I'll pitch it slightly differently to Jenny. Um, what did uh, 
being in America teach you about Scotland? And um, for, for Bonnie, um, what did um, Jenny being in America teach you about either America or Scotland? Uh, that's a good question. I do, uh, I do feel like being in America allowed me to view things differently, uh, specifically in being a little bit less guarded uh, when I was talking to people on the radio. In the UK, we're very obsessed with, we're still very obsessed with class, ideas of class, ideas of background, ideas of, we need people in boxes. The media here still, we like a neat box. It makes us feel secure. And in America, I found that there was a different approach to um, people's backgrounds. And I found that I was a lot more honest about my background. I did a, a show in Chicago that was going out to five different big projects in Chicago. And I talked about structuralism and I talked about growing the care system. I talked about the 1962 International <laughs> Writers Conference and the book <laughs> festival. I don't know why I said that, <laughs> but it's, it's a great one to look up. But I felt that by talking about truth, and I would meet people and they'd say, why are you so cautious about talking about your background? It's badass, it's interesting, we love this. Somebody's a cowboy, they've, they've became themselves, they've created themselves. And so it was interesting to step back and think about why um, I feel a lot more guarded in certain ways with journalists over here. And that was really refreshing and something about talking about truth and the immediacy um, has made me feel different when I've come back. So it, it, I felt like I was able to view the idea of home in a different way and certainly connecting with Lolita and connecting with Bonnie and connecting with Dorothy uh, made me feel a little less isolated in a certain way within my journey as a writer. So I brought that back with me. Yeah, and I guess, I guess again, I'm going to go back to a lot of small things. Uh, and maybe if, maybe, maybe they fall in the category, though, under the umbrella of things about choice and democracy and ways they work differently in different countries. Um, I'm, I'm very obsessed with the ways in which I'm, where I live, has so many aspects that are undemocratic. Um, and, uh, and so I'm thinking about conversations that Jenny and I had about, about, these, about housing, for example. In a certain way, it's a great freedom to just be able to live in a yurt or a house made of ticky-tack. In a way, it's, there's a freedom, like I can feel, I've always felt kind of bad, like, oh, our houses are so ugly, and the houses elsewhere are so beautiful. But there is a kind of freedom in being able to live the way you want, even if it's a stupid way. <laughs> uh, but, but also, I could see why Jenny says, I, I don't want to live in a house that hasn't been there for 300 years, you know? <laughs> and it's about permanence. There's, yep. you know, the, the, there's certain ideas of permanence that in Scotland is a really old country we take for granted. And, and you're right, that I, that I, the architecture in every different place, I was quite obsessed by and the idea that you could make these great wooden houses. And I went to look at somewhere recently, I can't believe we're back on property, but they had a little um, river that you had to go over. It's a little place out in Roslyn. And, um, and my friend who was with me, Carissa, who was with me said, oh, well, how would you, you know, build a bridge to go across the river? And I thought, well, here we'd be, you know, cost lots of money and there would be health and safety and Ken Babs built a wooden <laughs> rickety thing that's been there for maybe 25 years and every time the car goes over it you go please make it to the other side please make it to the other side and there's something I liked about that 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 gung-ho thing you know where um 
we are quite different in that. And I think, yeah, there was, mm. it, was a, it was definitely a feature. But uh, Jenny was kind of heartbroken to hear uh, how we fund our schools in America. Yeah. Our public education is in most states, not everywhere, but in most states it's uh, funded by property taxes, which are based on the value of your home, which think about what that means. If you, live in a if you live in a neighborhood of rich people, your schools are well funded. If you live in a neighborhood where the houses are not worth very much, your schools are very poorly funded. Poor kids go to very poorly funded schools and rich kids go to much better schools. And there are a lot of aspects of that in America. And you could say that's a kind of freedom too, but it's kind of an awful kind of freedom. It's an awful kind of choice yeah, and an awful kind of freedom. Thank you for your question. Would anyone else like to ask anything at this stage? Please stay in the front here. Where are we? That's um, Chicago. <coughs> Maybe. What are chemtrails? <laughs> <laughs> chemtrails are. Do you want to do the chemtrails? Sure. Because I have to confess, someone very close to me believed in them. Believe. Well, we all chemtrails. You know what contrails are. They follow. We call them contrails. They follow. You know, jets shoot out steam and exhaust, and those are contrails. There are people in the United States and around the world who believe that things, governments put chemicals into airplanes so that when it shoots it out, it all lands on the earth and makes us docile, and it's how people control us. And they believe the government is controlling the population via... The world government. The, the, the world government is controlling the population via chemtrails. Yeah. So there is a base level of madness. Yeah, and I'm also, I mean, in certain states, there's weed's legal, you know, when we're in California, there is, uh, you, you go legal, you know, marijuana is legal in certain states in America, and I don't know if there's Other things they told me after they had come back. Um, <laughs> I know, yeah. there is a lot of pot in America right now, let me just Would tell you. Would anyone else like that. to ask any questions? <laughs> <laughs> any other questions? Yes, we have one more down here, and then we'll, I'm going to grab these two, and we're going to go next door. Please come and say hello. Ask any other questions you may have and get your books And I love signed. that you guys call it the adult bookstore, because do you know what that I means? I know. I thought that in America. America. I, thought I mean, I'm in the non-children's <laughs> bookshop. <laughs> you don't have to be ashamed to go in. My next book might fit in that category, oh. but... Um, I was very interested to hear how you talked about the effect it had on you. Were you aware of, did you spend long enough time with anybody that you met to find out if there was much effect that your presence there had had on them? Yes. I, uh, I still have, I've, I speak to Dorothy Ellison a lot, and I speak to Bonnie, and I speak to Lolita. Um, and there's a thing as writers who, you know, as women, as very working class women, as very strong women, uh, who've very much carved out our literary identity in a particular way. And, and I said to Bonnie, I said, I've never been in a room with three generations of very interesting, very literary, very working class women. And the only place I had this experience was in my trip in America. And we connected in a very profound way, very quickly. You know, our barriers were down and we shared a lot of truths that we can't share in this room. And uh, so yeah, there has been a definitely on either side, um, there has been a deepening of the idea of community 
the literary community and, and that's something that Edinburgh Book Festival very much wanted to do for its Scottish writers. There's been an issue in Scotland for decades whereby Scottish writers go and live in other places because sometimes they, they don't know how to be represented in the international community or people don't know how to represent them in the international community and I, um, I have a great respect and uh, to the book festival for selecting really interesting writers. All ten of the out outriders are really uh, interesting people doing very different things and um, I think on the 70th, 70th anniversary of you know the French is just it's been a really interesting things for lots of reasons and there's lots of the other outriders who I'll keep in contact with whose journeys we were watching online and who we've sat and had conversations with since then so and there are two outriders events tomorrow if you would yeah. like to hear about the other North American journey and the Argentinian yeah. journey with Mariana Enriquez and Kevin McNeil and Malachi Talek and Jennifer Haig. However, I must cut us off this yes. evening. Please join me again in thanking Bonnie Jo Campbell and Jenny Fagan. More podcasts and videos of Edinburgh International Book Festival events are available at www.edbookfest.co.uk on iTunes and YouTube. Just search for Edbookfest. The next book festival is on from the 11th to the 27th of August 2018.